0: Hi, everyone. This is Peter Brower, and you are listening to the Deeply Rooted podcast. Today's episode is the final episode in a series we've been working through called "Praying with Jesus." As we've been reading and, and listening to the six prayers of Jesus found throughout the Bible, really uh, has been a blessing to me, and I hope that it has been to you too. Not only learning a little bit how to pray. My prayer life has changed, but also learning about Jesus, about our Savior, through His prayers. So, I hope you've been blessed by this again. Uh, today is again the last and final prayer in that series. It's the prayers, the three prayers that Jesus prayed from the cross. So, we'll be listening to these prayers, both of pain in the midst of death, but also beautiful prayers of faith. So, why don't we go ahead and jump right in? Thanks for listening today. hi everyone and uh thank you for tuning in to this last episode in our series on praying with jesus we've come to the sixth and the the final prayers of our savior uh, we've heard jesus pray a good amount now and i hope that you've learned a, a lot not only about your own prayer life and how, how you might be able to change or grow in your praying but also but also about jesus uh, to me that's what i've seen we just gain a beautiful picture of jesus by listening to his prayers and uh Again, that's been true of me. I, I hope it's, I hope it's true of you as well. Uh, today we're going to hear Jesus praying in pain, uh, similar to as we did last week. And as, as I've been thinking about this and the pain that Jesus went through, it it seems to me like pain is is something that most of us spend a lot of our time, a lot of our lives avoiding. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I tried to do just about anything I can to avoid pain. Uh, I, I suppose not always. I mean. Uh, uh, I'm a runner, for example, so that takes a, a certain amount of pain in, involved in that, but I have my limits, right? An hour, uh, sometimes I push it, an hour and a half, I've done a marathon, that was even a little bit longer than that, but but any more than that, right? And and no thank you. Uh, I have my limits to how much pain I'm, I'm willing or, or able to put up with, and again, a, a lot of my, my time is, is spent trying to avoid that pain, whether it's physical pain or discomfort, right? Uh, we... we we spend all sorts of money and all sorts of upgrades in our cars to get the heated seats uh, so that we can avoid the pain and the cold of, of winter. Uh, we also spend time, though, avoiding emotional pain, right? And and as we'll talk about today, even sometimes spiritual pain. Uh, but sometimes pain just isn't avoided. I uh, know no matter how many pills we we take, no matter how many hoops we, we jump through to get around it. We, we just can't avoid pain. And I, I think the best example of that, and the most haunting example of it maybe, is the pain of death itself. Right? Death is a stark reminder uh, of of a pain that cannot be avoided. As much as we try, as, as, as much as we would like to conquer death itself, we, we haven't found a cure for it yet. Not, not yet. Uh, we, we all continue to to be pained by death whether it's looking ahead to our own death or the death of people we love right uh, we we can hide from pain sometimes or numb it can't we we're good at that too but but when death comes it's a it's a stark reminder that some pain cannot be avoided and the pain of death that it, it stops for no one. Uh, it's a reminder of our limitations as, hum, hu, as humans. There's some pain we just haven't figured out a, a cure for. And, and then there's, a, of course, the sense of finality to the pain of death. Most other pain is, is fleed, fleeting. I mean, we do have chronic illnesses, but, but death is kind of that, that lasting pain. Um, but as we'll see, God has an answer even for that. And our Christian faith uh, teaches us a lot about death, and it helps us to see it in a whole new way. Because here's, here's the thing about how Christians view death. Uh, death is not something to be avoided. It's not something that we need to work around or, or numb ourselves to. Uh, death is, in many ways, a part of the Christian life. Uh, Jesus, for example, calls us to, uh, well, this is what he says. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus calls us to, to a life of death, if, if I could put it that way. He'll say, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, will gain it. So, so Jesus calls us to have this new perspective, this new relationship to, to death, uh, even death it, itself. And, and that new relationship comes about by the death of Jesus. See, Jesus calls us to a life of dying. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will will lose it. And and Jesus himself enters into that pain of death, right? He, he doesn't tell us to, to go on and get dying and then stand back and, and avoid it himself. Jesus willingly enters into it. And he does it because he knows that that it's only through his own death that our death will be defeated. It's only by, by himself dying and then rising that, that our death will be redeemed. It's only by, by jumping onto that cross and dying for the sins of the world that, that there will one day be an end to death, that it won't be lasting, that it won't be eternal, uh, but that what will be eternal is life. And so that's all to say that the Christians have this unique perspective on death. We view it as a bad, a terrible thing. It was never part of God's plan. And yet we don't seek to avoid it. We don't seek to, to run around it or hide from it or deny it or, or numb ourselves to it. And instead, we, we cling to Jesus' death by faith, knowing that with him we too die, but only so that we might rise. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend some time listening to Jesus' dying prayers. The prayers that he prayed as he laid down that that life for us to, to completely redeem death, even death itself. So we're going to listen to Jesus as he prays on the cross. And these prayers, as you might imagine, these these last prayers of Jesus... Life In his death, they are powerful. And there are three of them. Uh, You might be aware that Jesus spoke seven words, seven phrases from the cross. Uh, Many of us remember that, uh, especially around Good Friday uh, leading up to to Easter. Uh, Four of those uh, seven sayings, those aren't prayers in in particular, but three are. And so we're going to listen to them. They're found in different gospels. We're going to listen to Mark's gospel and then Luke's gospel, again, as, as we hear Jesus pray. So why don't we just jump into the first one? That might be the best way to do it. The, the first prayer that Jesus prays is recorded in Matthew and Mark. And, and this is what Jesus says. From the cross, he prays, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know what those words tell you about Jesus and his death. But what they reveal to me is that Jesus' death was real. <laughs> right? In the, in the pain of his death that he felt. Was real. Uh, Jesus' death wasn't just an illusion, right? It wasn't some magic trick. He didn't just pretend to die, but really kind of escape off somewhere. And uh, in the historical accounts that that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John leave for us, right, they they kind of all speak to that that this was a real historical event. It happened to a real person, surrounded by other real historical people in a real place at a real time. Uh, but I, I think Jesus' pain, the pain in his voice and the prayer that he leaves us with here, that speaks to the realness of his death as well, right? This is a prayer of, of agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he feels abandoned by God. God has turned his back on, on him and left him like never before, alone. And so this, this tells us that, that his death was was real and not an illusion. Again, he didn't come to this world just to avoid death, to tell us to die and then and stand back and, and watch, but he willingly entered into it. Now, a, a couple of interesting things about this prayer in particular. Uh, first, uh, Mark tells us that he that Jesus prayed this prayer in Aramaic. Uh, eloi, Eloi, laba Uh that, that was Aramaic. And that would have most likely, as, as far as we can tell, that would have been Jesus, his his mother tongue, right, his first language, the, the, the language we spoke at home with Mary and Joseph. This this was his heart language. And, and that tells us a, a couple in, important things, right? Jesus is crying out now from the depths of his heart. But he does it, uh, interestingly, using the words of Psalm 22. Uh, th- this, this prayer is actually a direct quote from the opening words, the opening verses of Psalm 22. And, and just So just an interesting reflection on that as I think about it. Uh, Jesus prays from the heart because he's praying it in his mother tongue, his first language, but he also prays scripture, uh, a pre-written prayer in a sense. Uh, what that tells me is that uh, pre-written prayers and prayers from the heart, they're not mutually exclusive, right? Just because you're reading a, a prayer that someone else has written or, or just because you're quoting scripture as your prayer doesn't mean that it's not a heartfelt prayer. Right, we might think that a truly heartfelt prayer is one that I just kind of come up with spontaneously in the moment based on what I feel. Uh, but Jesus shows us that, that quoting scripture and praying, you know, pre-written prayers, sometimes are, are the only way to pray from our heart. I mean, think of when you are at the end of your rope and you are empty, like Jesus was, having had so much taken from him. And, and you don't even have the words. Sometimes it's in those moments that we need to turn to scripture. Right? And we let scripture in those moments, whether it's the, the Psalms or any word of God, we let those words become our own. And as we quote those scriptures, it flows into our heart, but then also back out of our heart. And, and that can be true of us. It was true of Jesus here. As he quotes these ancient words, he lets them become his own. He lets them be his own words and prayers to his Heavenly Father. And so in his greatest moment of pain, Jesus, I think, sets us an example. You don't always have to be innovative, right, in your prayer life. Uh, it, is, it is a good thing. It is a gift, actually, to be able to turn to God's word and to pray it and to allow those ancient words to give us the words that meets our, our current circumstances. So when you're feeling empty and you feel like you've got nothing else to say or you feel like what you are saying you've said a million times before, don't feel this pressure that you've got to come up with something new. Uh, let God's word be your prayer. And that's what Jesus does. Now, a couple of interesting things about Psalm 22. Uh, we hear the opening lines from Jesus, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, but I'd like to read you a, a little bit from the, the end of the psalm. So uh, it starts with this kind of heart-felt cry of, of pain, right? Uh, feeling abandoned or forsaken by God. But listen to how Psalm 22 ends, <laughs> like a complete 180. Listen to these words. And and this isn't all of the ending, but uh, I, I thought these words were important. It says, For God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And God has not hidden his face from them, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform for those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All of the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over them. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Do you see the great reversal that happens from the beginning of Psalm 22 to the end? It it starts with these these words of of crying and calling to the Lord and pain and, and anguish, but by the end of the psalm, because the psalmist and because Jesus is able to have these eyes of faith that look ahead towards God, right? He sees that that while he's feeling abandoned, that God has not despised him or abhorred him. God has not actually hidden his face from him, but God has heard. And, and God has heard when he cried to him. And, and, and the psalmist is even to say, from you comes my praise in the congregation, right? His, his words of agony and pain have, have become words of praise because of what God has done for him. And Jesus has experienced that. You see, there was this understanding in the first century Jewish world that when you quoted the beginning of some piece of scripture like a psalm that we could all infer the rest of it. Uh, this was in a culture that had large portions of the Bible memorized. They didn't always have the Bible written on, on books or on pieces of paper, right? Uh, that technology hadn't come yet. It was there, but not accessible to everyone. And so uh, scripture was largely memorized. It was largely in your mind. And so when you quote it, like Jesus does here, the beginning of one portion of scripture, like Psalm 22, um, you, you would have also had in mind as the speaker and, and maybe as the hearer too, the, the, the rest of that Psalm in, in mind. And, and so I think Jesus, whether the, the people at the foot of the cross kind of catch on to what he's saying, I think they might have, at least some of them, at least the, the Jewish people among them, But whether they kind of catch on to it or not, Jesus, I think we would say, has, right? And and he purposely quotes Psalm 22 because they give a voice to his pain and agony. But because they are also these words of faith that look ahead to God's goodness. Because Jesus understands pain. He's going through it. But he also understands the goodness of God. Uh, the goodness of God who, who turns around the affliction. right? He says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. Jesus knows that that's the kind of God he has. He says, May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. The end of Psalm 22 pictures this day when all people, Jews and Gentiles, are worshiping and coming before God. And that's what the death of Jesus brings. It brings all people together before the throne of Jesus to worship him and praise him without end. And so, Yes, we ought to have in mind the opening words because that's what Jesus prays. But I, I don't think Jesus is without faith in this moment. He has real pain, real anguish, real agony, but he also has a very real God who he trusts, is working all things for his good. And, and actually some of Jesus' prayers coming up are, are going to reveal that as well, that, that Jesus has not lost faith, but he continues to know the kind of Father, the kind of God that he has. Uh, Jesus' death then uh, shows us just the, the the power of his death. In, in many ways, Jesus is like us in death, right? Something that we all go through, Jesus goes through himself. Again, he doesn't avoid it or go around it or, or, or numb himself to it. Uh, but Jesus' death is unique in many ways too, isn't it? Because it's his death that brings about the salvation of the world. My death doesn't do that. Your death doesn't do that. It's Jesus' death which completely changed history. And uh, we hear about one of those changes, right, that that comes. So if we were to read uh, Mark chapter 15, we didn't have time to read all of it today, uh, the story of the death of Jesus. But listen to what happens. Um, I'll just pick up from when when he prays this prayer. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And here's something interesting. It says, And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Well, that's an amazing thing for anyone to say, right? A recognition, uh, a statement of faith about who Jesus was. This man saw, and it's amazing anytime anyone sees this, that Jesus was the Son of God. But even more amazing that this was not a Jewish man, right? This was a, a Roman, a Gentile, a centurion soldier who, who comes to faith in Jesus, having heard Jesus' final prayer. And this outsider is, is brought near to who Jesus is. Uh, we, we see a, something very similar happening then in the next verse. In the next verse, verse 40 if Mark 15 says, there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and Salome. Here's this group of woman, women who are near to Jesus too. right? So many others have scattered. So many others have betrayed him or denied him or mocked him or rebuked him or slung insults at him. But here at the end, here is a, a centurion who understands and gets who Jesus is and is brought near in faith. Here are these women, right? Second-class citizens in many ways in the ancient world. Uh, Luke will, will, will also tell us that one of the criminals, one of the criminals at Jesus' side comes near to Jesus. He, here's what that tells me. It, it tells me that, that Jesus, by being forsaken and abandoned by by his father ha- having had his father turn his back on him it is through that forsakenness that jesus welcomes all people into his kingdom through his abandonment you and i and and all of us who are far off because of our sin are brought near to god's goodness and grace that's that's the power in the death of jesus that's what makes his death totally unique no one else's death does that but Jesus' death does. Jesus was forsaken so that you and me could be brought near to God for all eternity. Well, that's the, the first prayer that Jesus prays. Uh, the next two prayers actually come to us from, from the Gospel of, of Luke, chapter 23. So uh, on, on your own time, I invite you to go check those out. And uh, again, we're going to learn some important things about Jesus and, uh, and about his death. So the the first one is this, Uh, listen to what Jesus prays, the the next prayer, the first one from Luke. Uh, Jesus prays, Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, You might remember that way back in Matthew chapter five, Jesus had commanded his disciples in all times and places this, Jesus had, had told all Christians that they are to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes when I hear those hard words of Jesus, I think, how is that possible, right? How can I possibly love my enemies, right? Those who have hurt me, those who have rejected me, those who battle against me, how can I love them? And, and then how can I pray for them? Like that's hard, right? It's, it's one thing to kind of like forget or to let go of the pain they caused, it's another to, to actively kind of re-engage with the person who has hurt you and and then to pray for them, right? And, and I don't think he, he means like pray curses upon them, like, but to pray for their good, right? So I don't know about you. My initial reaction when I hear that command of Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, my initial reaction is to think, how? How can I do that? How is that possible? But there is another question that kind of closely follows on the heels of that. And it's what? And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But like, what are we supposed to be praying for, for our enemies? Right? Uh, What kinds of things are are we to lift up on their behalf? Again, I don't think Jesus means we're supposed to pray curses upon them. Right? But there might be a lot of things that we might feel a little bit more comfortable praying. Right? We we might pray for our enemies that, um, that, that they face justice for what they did, right? Justice is a good thing. We have a God of justice, so we might pray, uh, "I Lord, I hope my enemies that they get what they deserve," right? Or, or we might pray for our enemies that um, that they see that we're right and that they're wrong, right? And uh, there's not something wrong with that, uh, at least as far as it goes, in, in some cases, at least depending on where we take that. Uh, but Jesus today kind of fills in the content of that. He tells us what we're supposed to be praying about for our enemies. Right? We heard it, right? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So a couple of interesting things here. When Jesus gives that pr- command to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, uh, like his earlier words of, of taking up your cross and laying down your life, uh, Jesus doesn't just give these commands and then kind of step back and stand on the sidelines, barking orders at us, right? He, he, he engages. He jumps in. He does what he asks us to do. And so he calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And that's what he does, right? In this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he fills in the content of that prayer. What should we be praying about? It's not an angry p- prayer of revenge. It's not actually a prayer of justice that they would get what they deserve. No, he's, he prays that they would get something they don't deserve, that none of us deserve, and and that's forgiveness. See, Jesus here is, is praying a prayer, I think, founded on and flows from that famous verse, John 3.16. right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, the world, the world, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, and that's what Jesus does here. He prays for the world, not just for his friends not just for those who love him uh, but even for those who who persecuted him who mocked him who ridiculed him who reviled him who spit on him who nailed his hands and feet into into the cross and he prays that they would be forgiven we see a beautiful picture of god's grace here now something important we need to remember and this is true of so many things the bible teaches and that jesus has to say And that is that we don't need to pit justice and grace against each other. Right? I said here that Jesus doesn't call us to pray for justice against our enemies, but that doesn't mean that God's not a, a just God, right? And God does punish evil, and he does uh, approve of what is good and right and pure and reward that. And he, he does kind of reverse things so that those who are poor and lonely and, and stepped upon and, and treated shamefully, he does kind of lift them up and pour out rich blessings upon them because he's a just God. But at the very same time, He's a God of forgiveness and grace. And it seems to me like like here that, that the two, again, are never pitted against each other. We never have to choose one or another, justice or forgiveness. But it does seem to me like 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 forgiveness always rises to the top. And forgiveness gets the last word. And is that last word that Jesus prays today as one of his own last words. As he lies there dying or hanging on the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now I, I was doing some thinking this week about who the them and the they are. Right when Jesus says, "Father, forgive them," and uh, because they know not what they do, you know who was he talking to? And uh, I don't know that he had any one person or any just few people in, in mind. I think a lot of people were on that list, right? People, people like Caiaphas, the high priest, who who condemned him and handed him over to, to Pilate, right? Pilate, the, the Roman leader of the day. I think Jesus had him in mind. I think, I think Jesus had the soldiers in mind. I, I think Jesus had the other criminals on the cross hanging with him in, in mind. I, I think Jesus had disciples, Judas, Peter, in, in mind. I, I think Jesus had, had all of us, all of us who have sinned, who sins put Jesus there. He had us all in mind. And he prays for our forgiveness. And the really cool thing is that when Jesus prays this prayer, that that his people would be forgiven. That we actually see this happening throughout the history of God's people, right? And I think maybe the best example of this prayer coming to fulfillment is is in a man named Saul, who is also known as Paul. Because if you remember the story of Saul, he was one who persecuted Jesus and Jesus' followers. He went from house to house tracking down, dragging out Jesus' people and, and persecuting them, in some cases, even to death. And, and yet, maybe Jesus even had Saul in mind. Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he does. And, and by the power of the Spirit, God worked this prayer to completion so that Saul would come to faith. right? Saul would, would come to trust in Jesus. Saul would become Paul. And he would live forever as a forgiven and beloved child of God. And, and I think Jesus continues to pray this prayer, and the Father continues to make it happen, so that those who, who once did not know Jesus, who were lost in their sin, who were wandering and far off from him, that they would be brought near by faith, and, and that they would receive the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's all of our story, right? Maybe in a sense Jesus is praying for all of us, praying that that we would be turned from our ways, that we would come to faith, and that we would receive the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness that he died to bring us. What a beautiful prayer. Uh, What a beautiful prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Makes me think, too, that ignorance is never an excuse for sin. Right. I, I also don't think that Jesus is saying that here. Right. That, that we can just say, oh, you know, uh, I sinned, but it's just because I don't know any better. Um, that's, that's not true either. Right. Uh, we should never make excuses for our sin. Instead, what we should do is we should cling to Jesus for forgiveness and grace and repent of that sin. Turn, turn away from it and turn towards the one who died for us. All right, so uh, that's Jesus' second prayer that we hear from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The, the last prayer then is, is just as powerful. And again, this is from Luke chapter 23. And this is where Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I don't know what these words sound like to you, but let me tell you what they are not. <laughs> this is not Jesus giving up. Right. Uh, G- this isn't Jesus throwing in the towel. These are not words of defeat. Right. This isn't Jesus saying, "I've I've had enough. God, I'm I'm giving up and giving it to you." No. Th- this is a prayer of faith. This is not resignation. Right. This is uh, Jesus completely and totally trusting in his Father. This is Jesus saying, "Here, take my life, as a, a ball of clay." And here, Father, work something from it, right? Do something beautiful with it. This is God giving his life over to the master sculptor, saying, Lord, into your hands I give my life, not in resignation, not in defeat, uh, but in victory, knowing the kind of father that he has, knowing the power of his father, right? The one who can take the worst of circumstances, hopeless circumstances, the one who can take the worst kind of pain and suffering, and do something beautiful and wonderful with it. The, the one who, who can take even an act of evil and sin, which is what the crucifixion of Jesus was, and he can use it for his own glory. And so that's what Jesus prays. He says, Lord, take this. And, and I think we would do well to, to pray the same thing, right? Lord, take those moments when all seems like darkness, when it seems like evil is getting the upper hand. Lord, take my life. I place it into your hands. I trust that you can do something good with it. I, I, I take I pray that you can take this darkness and shine your glory through it. So this is a prayer that we can all pray. And in some ways it, it is a prayer that we do pray. <laughs> right? This is uh this is Jesus' deathbed prayer. But it's also a prayer for our daily bread, beds. And some of us Pray this prayer from our beds, right? I, I think of that, that famous prayer, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right, That's a, a prayer, like Jesus, of amazing faith. Lord saying, My life is in your hands. I go to sleep now. And so I give my very being over to you. Place all that I am into your care. While I'm sleeping, Lord, I know that you are watchful and awake and that you hold me in all things strongly. And so some of us, we, we, we do pray this way before we, we fall asleep. But this is also a prayer, I think, for, for our beds as we wake in the morning, right? To wake each day and to say, Lord, I start this day by placing my, my life, my spirit, my body, everything I am into your hands, Father, I commit it all to your care. As I begin this day, the work that I do, the words that I say, the, the people that I love, I, I pray that it's all in your hands. I will fail. I'll mess up. That's for sure. If anything is for sh- for sure, that's it. But I pray that, that you will take my faults and my failings. I pray you take the sin of my life. I pray that you take the, the brokenness of this world and you do something with it. Because you can reverse it and you can shine through it. And so, Lord, I am just this ball of clay to start my day. And I pray that you would mold me and shake me and make me into your image. I think what this prayer teaches us is that when life is out of control and when pain is all we feel, when death is knocking on our door, our Father holds us. And we never need to doubt that. We never need to question it. Because he's there. And he's got us and he's holding us and and the truth is that we can jump out of his hands can't we um god has given us that choice but he will never let us go and he'll never let anyone take us out of his strong and loving hands his grip is is too firm he's got us the entire way through well those are the prayers of jesus and uh, again we learn so much about our savior don't we uh we we learn of his pain and his agony that his death was real and the pain that he felt in that death was was just as real. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and yet we we know as Jesus quotes that those ancient words that, that he never lost faith and that he trusted that that God could work something through them, and that God would never truly, eternally forsake his children. But that he would turn that moment of pain in, into an opportunity to praise, and that it was through Christ's forsakenness, through his abandonment, that all people, outsiders, the, the the women, the centurion, the 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 robber hanging next to him on the cross, the other thief, all of these outsiders, like you and me, we are all welcomed in. And and then we we hear of of the forgiveness that Jesus came to bring. That his death was was only brought about so that so that God's people could be forgiven and that when we wonder how should we pray for our enemies we only need to listen to Jesus and see what he had to say for his and and we were reminded that grace always rises to the top. that justice and forgiveness are never pitted against each other but in the end grace gets the final word. And then we were reminded that, that just as Jesus places his life into the hands of his father, so can we. What a gift that is to give it all over to him, knowing that he holds us strongly, firmly, and securely. Well, again, I, I hope you've been blessed by listening to these prayers of Jesus with, with me. I uh, hope that you've learned about Jesus and hope that maybe you've learned a little bit about how to pray in your own prayer life as well. I thank you for watching and listening, everyone. God bless. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Deeply Rooted Podcast. I hope that you are blessed by our time together in the Word of God and pray that your roots went a little bit deeper. If you could do three things for me as we close our time together today, I would be blessed. First, if you could subscribe to this podcast, I would love that. That would be an easy way for you to listen to all future episodes and continue to get our updates. Second, if you could share what you heard today, I would really appreciate that. There should be an easy way to do that, to share this to your Facebook page, and I would be blessed by that. And then finally, if you could leave a review, would love to hear what you think and, and how this episode went. So if you could share, subscribe, and leave us a review, I would be blessed. God bless you, everyone. And until next time, this is Peter Brower on the Deeply Rooted Podcast.